you're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for June 27, 2021, the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Our gospel lesson this morning features a literary technique beloved of the author of the gospel of Mark, known as an interpretive intercalation, or more popularly, a Markin sandwich. It's when the author of Mark inserts one story into the middle of another, interrupting it, and then allowing each of the stories to interpret the other. In this morning's lesson, the bread, as it were, is the story of how Jesus heals the 12-year-old daughter of a synagogue leader named Jairus. And the tuna salad, or the ham and cheese, or whatever you prefer, is the story of how Jesus cures a woman who has suffered hemorrhages for 12 years when she touches his cloak, or as many of us learned in Sunday school, the hem of his garment, as it says in the King James Version. Both of these stories feature women whom Jesus has no anxiety or reservation whatever to associate with, even in his environment in the first century. Both stories feature the number 12. 12 years old in one case, 12 years of sickness in the other, perhaps to draw attention to God's wisdom and gracious intent in leading Jesus providentially to each of them. Both stories feature naysaying or distracting crowds. A weeping and wailing crowd convinced that the girl is dead and never to live again in the one, and a crowd pressing in on Jesus and the woman and veiling the woman in anonymity in the other. And most crucially, I think, both stories feature healing by touch. Jesus taking the hand of the girl in the one and the woman touching Jesus' cloak in the other. In each case, a human being coming into contact with the power of God in and through the ordinary act of touching a man's hand or his clothes. Because this man, Jesus, is God. Human beings are material creatures creatures of flesh, like this, because God made us so. God made us creatures who live, learn, and love by bodily, material means. We acquaint ourselves with our environments through our senses. We communicate with one another through noises and signs. We share our affection with one another by giving hugs, cooking each other meals, and so on. Now, our material lives are, of course, disordered in some way by the fall, by which I mean the primordial entrance of sin into the world by human free choice, mythologized in the story of Adam and Eve. But material creatures we are and remain and by God's original intention. God did not make us disembodied spirits, but creatures of matter, and intentionally so. And when God deigns to save us from our predicament in Christ, 
God does so in a way appropriate to the kind of creatures we are, the kind of creatures he made us to be. By becoming this human being, Jesus, and living a human life, and eating, and drinking, and talking, and touching God's way through the whole material masterpiece and mess of it, all the way to dying, when God's human body suffered the exhaustion of its own natural powers of life. Eventually, on the third day, to be revived and transformed by its continuing sharing God's own inexhaustible powers of life. The divine life, which is Jesus' own by nature, and ours by grace, given to us through things which are material like we are, material like Jesus was and is, water, bread, wine, hands, words, rings, and oil. We call these things sacraments, baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, ordination, confession, matrimony, and anointing of the sick. And they're all material ways which God has given us to be in touch with him discerned by Christians over 2,000 years in response to Jesus' own commands as when he told his disciples to baptize all nations and to do this in remembrance of me, and also to the Spirit's persistent urging of the church towards these things over and over and over, as in confirmation, ordination, confession, marriage, and anointing. In the sacraments, we relive the experience of the woman who was healed of her hemorrhage by touching the hem of the Lord's garment. In the sacraments, we come and we touch the Lord. Most especially in the Eucharist, of course, in which Jesus is present to us bodily, flesh to flesh, as it were, in bread and wine, graciously commandeered by the Holy Spirit for this purpose in some mysterious way. But we also come and touch the Lord in the experience of grace and power we have by means of water in baptism, hands, the laying on of hands on a head in confirmation and ordination, oil in anointing of the sick, words of forgiveness in confession, vows and rings in marriage. Coming into contact by whatever means we have is powerful. And that's really what the word grace means. Grace means to touch God in some way. And as the English church father Bede observes, it is what the church is for. So Bede writes, the church comes to touch the Lord when it by faith draws near to the truth. And so when by participating in the sacraments, it is redeemed from its sins, it is, Jewel, help me with this. Let me see if I can get it right. Quasi tactum vestimentorium eius fontem sui sanguini sicavit. It is as if the touch of his garments has dried up the blood we were hemorrhaging. 
as bead new and as we continue to experience this saving contact with the God of Jesus, the Lord of glory in the sacraments can elicit in us the same awestruck fear which Father Peter noted in his sermon last week, the disciples felt when Jesus calmed the storm, the trembling fascination which coming into the presence of God can produce in us and which characterizes both of the stories on either side of the sandwich in our gospel this morning. The hemorrhaging woman answering Jesus in fear and trembling, it says, falling down before him, and Jairus' family and crowd being overcome with amazement when his daughter gets up and walks. Now, most of us, my, myself included, find the sacraments so rote, so pedestrian, sipping and sprinkling and smearing and so on, to be so ordinary that we are not always consciously aware of God's awesome presence and activity in them. There could be moments, of course, where this is otherwise, when the water in the font seems to be alive or to sparkle in some way, which you can't see, but you can see, or when the crack of the Eucharistic host takes us by surprise one morning, or when we find healing of body or mind or mysterious peace after oil has been put on our foreheads. But these are momentary experiences of a truth which I think is more regularly apparent to us over the long haul of our lives as we partake of these sacraments, as their grace does its work on us and in us, transforming us by degrees into people who have seen and have touched the Lord and so end up looking something like him. As when some of us pray privately from the prayer book after receiving communion, a grant us so to venerate the sacred mysteries of thy body and blood that we may ever perceive within ourselves the fruit of thy redemption, God's grace at work in us. That we are not constantly bowled over or blown away by glory every Sunday that we come to church is nothing to be ashamed of, although it's um, neither is it to, um, uh, to be blown away and bowled over by God's glory every time you come to church. And um, there are a few in your number who are, and you just don't know it. But it's worth all of us remembering, blown away or not, that when we gather ourselves regularly for worship in person or now online, we do so not to learn a whole bunch of new things about God or to be reminded of a bunch of things about God, nor even to do God a whole bunch of favors in order to get on his good side. We come to worship to encounter God, to touch him. And it's worth our remembering that doing so is risky business because God may very well change your life one morning. At the very least, you may at the end of your life look back and realize he has been changing your life all along. No one better summed up this odd combination of the pedestrian and the tremendous that characterizes the liturgy better, I think, than the late Aidan Kavanaugh, a monk and a professor of liturgy at Yale who was one of Father Peter's teachers. There's nothing unusual about a deity being fearsome, Kavanaugh says. Deities around the world are well known for this quality. 
Nor is there anything unusual about a, a deity consoling its devotees. But there does seem to be something unusual about the way in which the God of Jesus Christ is fearsome with such tenderness, consoling with such towering justice. The perfect enactment of this is the liturgy of Christians. For when they come to their liturgy, Christians approach not just a text, a proposition, a doctrine, an option, or a chance to grab the brass ring of grace or passing moral uplift. In their liturgy, Christians disport themselves warily with one for whom their universe is but the snap of a finger. They have the impertinence to play with the one who did not hesitate to yield up his only son into our blood-stained hands. This is the one at whose table we sit by grace and pardon. And if you want him this morning, Come and get him. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.